right, good morning, church. Good to see you guys. Do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4, where we're going to be today while you're turning over there. Um, I want to highlight uh, the fact that right now we're bringing awareness uh, to the church, this Sunday particularly, um, and as we consider one of the most vital aspects of our church community, and that is life groups. If you had, didn't see on your way in, there's a, a little table out here. Um, our culture has a lot of connections. I've said this to you many times, but our culture is uh, slowly but surely sort of evaporating the idea of a, sense of, a deep sense of belonging. And uh, it's missing in our, in our culture particularly. Um, and belonging is where much of the good stuff is in life. Um, but belonging involves like uh, getting, being known, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and letting people in your business and, and living life at a, at a very transparent level with a group of people. And there's a great sense of, uh, there's also a lot that can happen to us when we enter into that type of thing. Um, well, the place where our church seeks to try to foster this because it is really, really helpful for your soul. In fact, you need it as a Christian, to grow in Christ. This is the kind of thing you need, belonging of this sort. And so we know that it's necessary. And the, the place where we try uh, to create an avenue where this can be available to you um, is in our life group ministry as, as a church. Um, life groups are smaller groups at Bannockburn that gather together for encouragement, for prayer, for Bible study, care, for growth, for ministry to one another, for the sense of belonging. And, and, and intimate community. Uh, we like to say that Bannockburn is not a church with life groups. We are a church of life groups. Uh, that's how strongly we really uh, believe that it, how important it is in our lives. So I want to encourage you today, if you haven't uh, experienced the community of a life group, um, here's what I would say. Just give it a try this fall. Uh, just go find out information and give it a try, taste and see, you know, and, and again, yeah, maybe not the first one you try, you like or connect with, oh, we understand human relationships are complex and, and that sort of thing, but what why we would appeal to you is to get the process of trial, just go try it, I think what you'll find is the benefits of it are immense, um, and I think what you'll find is maybe there's something there that would really bless your soul in, in a really big way, so today in the lobby, go by there, just get the information, uh, and maybe you just fill out something to say, I'm open to it, let me know more, and they'll reach out to you and let you know. Pastor Matt will, would love to go through the process of even plugging you into the right one for you and just letting you try it. Uh, even if you wanted to try it for a few weeks, we'll even tell them that they're coming for a few weeks just to try things out, see how things go, and uh, we're open to that. So uh, please, just be willing, willing to do that. Okay, so we're in week three of our series, Mindset, and taking every thought captive. I think we get the principle now that there's a pattern in the Christian life where we have hitched our mental wagon to Christ himself, and every day, routinely, uh, we set our minds on the things of Christ. We set our minds on the things of heaven, not on the things of earth, and we seek to live and think the way he would have us to live and to think. But from time to time, in the Christian life, what you're going to find is that will lead you to a place to discover things in your own heart, to discover things in your own mind. Things will pop up. Forces will come in. Uh, you will have to battle in your mind constantly as you seek to follow Christ and to seek to keep your mind submitted to him in obedience. And that process is the Christian life. And so the first week we talked about that routine process. First, set your mind to the things of Christ, to let him guide your thoughts every single day. 
Secondly, there are some things that will pop up, and we're talking about some powers now that will pop up in the mind. Last week we talked about anxiety and the battle in the mind over anxiety over tr and trust and where anxiety comes from and how to battle it in the mind. And this week another major battle, perhaps an even more important and bigger battle uh, this week with this particular subject, and it's in James chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1 down to verse 10, so follow along with me. James says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we just uh, submit ourselves to you this morning, and we hear your word. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit that you would take it into our hearts, our lives, uh, help us to find application, make us what you want us to be, minister to us right now in this moment, um, all for your glory and your praise. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So the battle of the mind isn't just thoughts that are sort of neutral, um, things that we think that have no real effect or power. The battle of the mind is battling thoughts that come with desires, battling things in our mind that come with passions and emotions and feelings and forces and impulses. So the battle of the mind isn't just knowing how to shuffle things and organize things. It's battling against forces that you know are opposed to what the Lord wants in your own mind and learning to oppose these powers, these forces, these impulses um, that are opposed to God and sometimes to arrest or take captive a thought is to try and arrest all those desires that come along with it. And that's a different task, amen? Uh, it's almost like if it was just thoughts, that would be pretty easy. It's the powers, it's the forces, it's the emotions, it's the feelings it's the, that, that makes this a very difficult thing. And James is dealing with an element that has a ton of force in our mind. And to win the battle in this requires a lot of power, and it's power that we honestly don't have. Uh, we need divine power to demolish the power of pride. I want to share with you from the text, first, the problem of pride. Secondly, from the text, the awareness of pride. Thirdly, the solution to pride. And uh, hopefully we can do that in the time I'm allotted. All right. The first, the problem of pride. Let's talk about the problems that James really addresses here when we're talking about the mind and the problem of pride. Uh, the word for, for proud 
uh, is in the New Testament. It's always referred to, but, but it's, it's, it's translated differently in each instance, and it gives a better indication. But swollen, inflated, puffed up is the idea of the New Testament word uh, for, for pride. Think of yourself as a, a higher than you ought. And you've heard it said in the New Testament that way as well. Um, so you, you think that, that you know, pride is the sort of opposite the opposite of pride is sort of self-abasement um, because pride is this puffed up thing that I think, my, I think too highly of myself. I think of myself not according to what was real. I think more of myself than what is real. Uh, that's the idea of pride. And you think that the opposite would be self-abasement. Think little of yourself. Actually, it's not. Many times self-abasement can just be pride cloaked in this uh, pity party. Uh, Really, when the Bible talks about humility, it talks about thinking about yourself according to sober judgment. That you, you know who you are and you, you, you know the reality of who you are and what you're not and what, what you're not, you don't need to be. And so having this sort of balance about a sober-mindedness about self is really the biblical position of humility. But here's the problem with pride. And there's a couple of things. Let me list them here. One is pride blinds us. All through the New Testament, all through the Bible, there's this idea that proud people don't know they're proud and that's just the dynamic and we all have levels of pride in us but when pride really gains control proud people don't know they can't see it in themselves and that's one of the hardships of this uh, it means it can sneak up on us every one of us we can get proud and we can it can just sneak up on us through and we don't what we don't know it and it can take control and we don't realize it and the purpose of this text is to for James writing to a people uh, about awakening them to what's happening in them, what's happening in their minds, what's happening in their hearts, what's happening in their souls. And he's speaking these words. I mean, it's like some of the harshest words in the Bible. It's just coming at you like a, like a fire, you know. Uh, I heard Matt even talk about how this passage hit him one time. Uh, and I can't even remember what it was, but I just remember this passage just like fire breathing. But it woke him. And, and that's really what James is trying to do is wake people up to the reality of what's gripped them in their minds. And it's this pride, right? Um, like a parent who you can see your child is really elevating themselves, and you go, what? You don't let them keep doing that because you know that's going to hurt them. What you do is you go, hey, hey, look at me. <laughs> and, and you get their attention because you do not want that thing to destroy their life if they continue in that. So pride does blind us, and we need awakening of it. Secondly, pride is resisted by God. Man, this is a big language here. James says when a person is eaten up by pride in their minds, they have positioned themselves against God and God resists them. They're an enemy of God, friend of the world, this type of language. Like there's battle lines drawn, pride is on this side, God's on that side. And, and, and there's just this sort of, we now are facing one another in conflict. This is so the idea. You know, Jesus spoke his harshest words to a people who were eaten up with religious prides. When you see Jesus saying some really sharp, penetrating, hard things to hear. He's usually speaking to a person eaten up in their own pride, in their own minds. But what did Jesus always do to someone who is coming in humility before him? He always gave grace, always gave grace. In fact, it could be argued, this may be a good project some of you want to do, that in the Gospels, in every single interaction with Jesus, every single interaction, Jesus is evaluating the person that he's speaking to on these terms. 
is there a humble heart here or a proud heart? And he always, without fail, either resists them in their pride or gives them grace in their humility toward him. Without fail. He is so consistent with these particular dynamics. Because God opposes the proud and uh, gives grace to the humble. So if you want grace from Jesus, you can't be swollen. You have to come with humility to him. Then pride destroys. There's that common theme. We all know this proverb, right? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, right? We know this. Pride's a killer, uh, so kill it before it kills you. That's the whole point of the whole Bible, really. Um, it, it isn't a matter of if. It's a matter of when a proud person experiences destruction in their life. They will feel it like systematically. They will literally tear their own uh, life down brick by brick with their own hands. Because it just that's what pride does when it takes over the mind. And so that's a problem. <laughs> pride just destroys a person in their life. Destroys relationships. Destroys them. Uh, destroys the people around them. Uh, pride ultimately when it's taken over. We know that there are levels here, right? Um, pride when it's ultimately taken over can just be, bring destruction all around a person's life. So that's a major problem. We don't want that. So what's, it, what's needed? Well, you need the awareness of it. Because it's blinding, we need to see it. <laughs> we need to see it and see its problems to us. And that's not easy. It's not easy to see. All of us have had pride in our lives. And, and we know we weren't necessarily aware of it until someone sort of poked us or stabbed us and said something like, whoa, wait, hold up. You know, and it made us a little defensive at first. And then we struggled with it for a little while. And then we finally realized, oh, my goodness, I'm sorry. And we apologized and it broke, right? Uh, th- this is the idea. Um, you got to come to the awareness of it in you. Um, and there's some helpful guidance in this text regarding being awakened to our own pride. One thing it teaches is that we actually have to stop and look for it. We have to be open to the fact that we could have it. And, and this is the idea, posturing ourselves with the possibility that, yeah, I could be eaten up with pride and I not know it. So let's position ourselves there, first of all, and listen to the Lord. And then open our heart and mind. Be open and say, I'm going to look at a few things, look at what James says, as much ob- objectivity as I can, not trying to take things personal, and, and just see, be open to what I find there. And posture yourself there. That's first step in humility. First, James says, let's say, look around. you got to look at a few things. First, look around. James says, start by looking around in your life. What causes quarrels and fights among you? When human beings get together and they are just, right? What is the main root? cause Paul, uh, James is basically saying uh, pride in us will cause quarrels around or among us that's quarreling is where you that's one of the indicators that we're eaten up by pride is we have this constant pattern of quarreling quarreling is there a pattern of quarreling in your life um, is there a pattern of consistent strained relationships around you this is a good indicator that James is talking about now I know uh, I know personally I can look around and um, without sort of feeling attacked, I just need to self-assess without automatically getting into defense mode myself. I know this. I've experienced this myself. That, what, do, am I proudful here? Am I, is this, you know, what's happening here? And so ask the Lord, Lord, help me see what have others consistently said to me in patterns of conflict. I'm looking for pattern. Do I see a pattern of consistent quarreling? And in that, do I hear a common theme? 
And this is a good way to do it. If you open yourself to it and say, do I hear a common theme? Is there a quarreling pattern in my life? And do I hear a common theme coming at me? All right? Because sometimes quarreling is not your fault. It's not a result of pride. But sometimes if you have a pattern of it, it could be. It could be. And so you have to open it. You say, Lord, show me in this. Show me in this. This could be terrifying. Because it is a painful thing to see yourself and realize that you may have a character flaw called pride, right? No one wants to have that exposed in them and brought out. Uh, it's just not a very uh, delightful experience. It's humiliating, and there's not a worse feeling. But it's the best kind of pain, the best kind. Because through it comes a life of beauty and gladness and freedom and joy and light to the eyes. So you have to hang in there in this moment, right? And then, so look around and, look, okay, what a... What's happening in my life? And then look up. James says, you don't have because you don't ask. So in other words, pride will instinctively cause us to be self-dependent. We won't seek the Lord for what we need. That requires humility. We will tend to be self-reliant. And we will find ourselves only because the whole bottom has fallen out, really going to the Lord and asking for what we need. Um, he says, don't, don't, you don't have because you don't ask. That we don't have a, a, a thought. We have a thought in our minds that I don't need to. That I don't need to ask the Lord. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. But then he says that even when you pray, you'll pray. If you pray with pride dominant in the mind, you'll pray prayers you don't even think about are all about you and your welfare. And your, and your motives are all about you and your welfare. And you don't even realize it. This is what James is saying here. And, and, and James says, God resists those prayers. You don't have because you don't ask. And he doesn't answer those prayers because you don't realize you're eating up with you in those prayers. You don't even hear it. Uh, and so again, try to be objective, right? Try to be objective and listen and ask, do I pray and do I instinctively have self-reliance in my own life? Or do I really feel like I must have the Lord uh, to, to provide for me and provide for me at every level uh, for me to have what I need to live faithfully for him. Do, and when I pray, what do I pray? It's a good question. What am I asking for? What, what's the motive? What's the springboard of the, of the thing that drives me to ask for what I ask for? What is it? So that helps. It's helpful. So look up. And then lastly, look in. Notice what James says there at um, the very first part. I want to, let me read it like this and see if this opens it up to you, Okay says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Y'all hear that? So what is James saying? James saying, hey, if stuff's happening all around you, it means that something has you within you. This is an in thing. It's not an out thing. And it's honestly not them. You instinctively say it's you it's you it's them it's you it's them it's you he goes whoa 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 that means there's something in you and you have to stop and you have to look in and james says you adulteress (laughs) now if i get a little heated here i'm only doing it because james gets heated okay so please forgive me as your pastor i'm not i'm not i don't know of any circumstance i'm not looking at you but i'm saying listen to what he says he says you adulteresses You married Jesus Christ when you were saved. And now you have abandoned him and gone and become like the world in your mind. You have 
pride all in your mind. You have quarreling all around you. And if you see all of this quarreling and you look in for one second, you'll find that you are an enemy of God. You've positioned yourself against God. And he is resisting you. And you don't even see it. You never apologize. You never admit that you could be wrong in something. And when you apologize, you say, I'm sorry that you took that wrong. Look in at what's happening in your mind. James says you are captivated. You are worldly in the spirit of your mind. And then he says, do you not know that God is jealously yearning for your soul? Don't you know that God is jealously yearning for that part of you, your mind? He wants that totally, and you have given yourself over to pride. You are an adulteress to him right now in that pride of your mind. And so, therefore, there's the rebuke, all right? We've just all received it. Trust me. I get my own, my own portion as well. There's the rebuke. There's the awakening. Now James goes to the solution, right? Let's look at the solution to pride. If we see it, Lord, solve it. The solution to pride, James says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Aren't you glad you came this morning? What a great word. The word for this morning, church, grieve, mourn, and wail. Um, we don't go there quickly as Americans, do we? No, no, we want happy thoughts. We really do. That's why we watch that guy paint. Happy thoughts. <laughs> we don't want to go grieve, mourn, and wail. Uh, who is it that grieves, mourns, and wails, though? Who is it? What's that person run into? They, a person that's been pegged by the Holy Spirit. And they see it in themselves, and they go, oh, they realize pride has dominated their mind, blinded them, and has begun to work destruction in their life. And they say, I am guilty, and I see it, and I don't want it. And I, why, who have I become? Why have I done this? They break. They break. And James is saying, break. Break. Break down, right? Break, break, break into that. Break fully into that, totally. And he's saying, stop laughing. What does that mean? He doesn't mean like, stop, stop, ha, 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 stop laughing. What he's talking about is stop trying to save face. Stop, stop trying to say, I have not done, that's not me, I'm not. I, that going on in your mind ain't taking you nowhere. Stop trying to save face. Stop laughing. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Come to the place of admittance. Come to the place of submission to God. Because the way to humility is not saving face. The way to humility is through breaking into that reality of admission and not resisting it. But then, not just uh, to grieve, mourn, and wail, draw near. Draw near. Okay, I admit, now I'm going to draw near. Draw near. The Bible always says the way to draw near in this context, when you know you've been eaten up with the pride in your mind, is a couple of things. One, recognition, and that we talked about that. Seeing ourselves according to the truth of God's word. I'm a sinner. I've been eaten up with pride in this situation, and I need to break. 
and then you recognize it. Secondly, contrition. I am broken over my sin. I feel guilty, condemned, embarrassed, broken. I grieve the things that my sin has done to me and are in me and to others around me. I am contrite. And then admission. God, I'm guilty. Admission. I, I am guilty. I align with you. I stop opposing you, and I get on this side with you and say, you're right. You're right. Totally about me. And I yield 100%. And then confession, Lord, I have sinned. I have become an adulteress. I have become like the world in the way they do things. I have not followed you in my mind, and I've sinned. And get as specific as you can with the confession and get it all out. Because it's not going to be used as ammunition against you. It's cancer being drawn out of you. Think of it that way. Confess it all. Get it all out. And then submission. Submit to God. Just lay before him with your face on the ground in your heart and in your mind. And say, I need you. I repent. I align with you. I'm not going to try to save face anymore. I'm not going to try to hold up my own reputation my pride i'm not going to sit there and do that i am going to break before you and by the way the first two start the ball rolling and god intervenes and he starts blessing in that process it's happening the very moment you're going through this it's not like he 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 goes okay i've received your letter and i'll let you know what i decide yeah that's not god god sees a broken heart right there in the moment he's moving in and he's meeting you right there in that moment and James says, wash. In other words, you wash. Well, how can I what? It's already there. <laughs> it's already been there. The grace is there. Wash, wash. Psalm 51, 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, look at that, will not despise you will not push them away you will not reject them you will not tell them oh they've blown it this time don't you come to me you will not despise a broken and contrite spirit when they come to you receive grace the next one know that the second you start admitting and confessing and asking for grace you already are getting it in that moment it is already happening just james says wash your hands purify your hearts you can do it right now you can and you can meet with god and you can get cleaned out in your mind and you can let him rush in with all that blessing and all that grace and you can just wash in that grace and you can do it right now you can do it right there in the chair that you're sitting in you can do this right now in your mind you don't even have to say anything he'll do it for you just break you know what i'm saying do you feel yourself doing this if you know you need to break and you feel yourself doing this? I have felt that a thousand times, okay? That's not uncommon to Christians. If you feel yourself tightening up, going, mm, 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 and going, you know the Holy Spirit is saying break, just go, okay, bam. <laughs> I release, man. It's the best thing in the world, the best spiritual experience in the world with the Lord. He says, wash your hands, purify your hearts, then be exalted. Can I just point this out for just a second? The problem I had was I was exalting myself. And now, James, you're telling me that I will be exalted? Y'all hear that? Isn't that interesting? You will actually be exalted. What you're trying to do for you will actually happen. You'll be exalted. This is interesting. 
There's a major difference in us exalting ourselves versus the Lord exalting us. But there is an exaltation. There is a lifting. There is an elevation. There is. There's a major difference. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the religious leaders that two men go up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. And he goes up there and he has all of his garb. Can you imagine it? And he says, Lord, thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast. I tithe. I fast twice a week and whatever. I'm not a sinner like those. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not. And you're, everybody's like, mm, all right. You know, you can feel that. And then he says the other man prayed. He wouldn't even look to heaven. Face to the ground. Wouldn't even look to heaven beat his chest, and cried out. And by the way, he probably was a deep, bad sinner. Probably had made choices that were terrible in his life. And he goes to the temple to pray, won't even look to heaven. Who's the one that's behaved better? Probably the Pharisee. But he comes, face to the ground, for Lord, forgive me, a sinner. And Luke 18, 14, Jesus says this, I tell you that this man, that person that didn't even look to heaven, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Jesus said it's the chest-beating guy that went home right. He's the worst behaved, but he went home right with God. God received that. God gave grace to that. God received that. What did he do to the other? Then he says this quote. For all those who will exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves, there it is again, will be exalted, will be brought up, will be lifted up. You see, the way up is down. The way up is down. And the solution to pride is not you deciding to think less of yourself and get off your high horse. That's not, that's not the solution to pride. The solution to your pride is looking at a very important event. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, this is the moment, this is the place of pride breaking and humility rushing in. How, how can we entertain pride when our, cru- our sin crucified the Lord of glory? Think about that. I mean, it's just, the gospel is humiliating. It is humiliating. Because it declares that you are an obstinate, rebellious sinner, standing in opposition to God himself, puffing yourself up against him, loving your worldliness and sin, and thinking so little of him that you want your own way and reject him in the process. That's what the gospel says, that you are a much worse sinner than you can even imagine. Yet, that same gospel says, you are loved more than you can ever imagine in the exact same event. In the exact same event. Because the Lord of glory was willing to become a man and suffer and die for every single rebellious sin you have ever thought, said, or done. Ever. And he did it all for you. And he was willing. The gospel lifts us. Lifts us. He will move heaven and earth 
to get that pride out of our minds. And the place where pride cannot stay is at the foot of the cross. And the goal of the Christian life in the battle of the mind is staying there. Through all the ebbs and the flows of life. And so if you have it within you, and you know what? We all have it to some degree, and we all battle it to some degree. There are only two paths to life. Two paths to life, and we all have to choose one. There's the path of humbling ourselves, and then there's the path of humiliation. And we all have to pick one, right? We do. There's humbling ourselves, and then there's humiliation. There's no other path. The gospel takes us down the path of humbling ourselves, agreeing with God, coming to that place of brokenness, but yet at the same time receiving all the grace of God and being exalted in your minds to a proper place. It's much less painful, much less painful, and much more life-giving and freeing. The battle in the mind in Christ will constantly be placing us in moments where our humility will be tested. And it will put us in moments where pride will be exposed if it's there. That's a constant thing in life. And it's humiliating constantly to find it's still in me. And it's still in you. And it's still in us. And we, we find it from time to time. That's the Christian life. But that testing season is a great opportunity for us to freshly and fully re-enter that place of humbling ourselves before God and experiencing him exalt us afresh and anew. We all need gospel humbling seasons from time to time. Some of us just need a look. Kind of like parenting, you know, when you're a kid. Some of the kids, they respond to a look, right? You look over there and you go like that and they go, okay, I'm sorry. Let me get right. You know what I mean? Others need the whole world to fall apart before they get there, right? But rest assured... Whatever it takes, the Lord will do it for your own life, for your own welfare. He will do that for us. What are we to do? We just acknowledge that, yeah, I can have this happen. And when it does happen and I feel myself saving face and I feel myself strengthening up and puffing up and I feel myself doing all of that, let's get to the Lord. Let's get back to that place at his feet. Let's get back to the foot of the cross. Let's break afresh and anew. Let's be humbled in the, in, our, in the pride of our mind, back to the place where we should be, sober-mindedness. Let him exalt us and fill us with grace and be renewed. That is the battle, and you'll probably do that once a day. Wouldn't you? Amen? Nothing exposes pride in our heart more than another person's pride. <laughs> so just remember that. You know, whatever you're doing in life, the pride of other people... All of a sudden, you feel it. Uh, this is the place where we run. This is the place where we go. And this is the battle that we fight. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that you know us better than we do. You know what we need more than you do, more, more than we do. And so, Lord, we just, um, we just hear your word today. And we know that in our minds... One of the worst things that can take over in our minds is 
that pride. So Lord, we pray you would work in and weave in your goodness and grace. Lord, sober-mindedness, humility. Lord, we need it. And we don't really have the power to get there. So we pray you administer to us. Help us to fight that battle well. To stay postured in our mind in a gospel posture. Uh, and so Lord, just meet with us and speak to us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.